program, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you as every night from the sunny climes of western Japan. And I would like to welcome you back to the broadcast and thank you for investing your mind time in some healthy alternative media once again. So welcome back to the broadcast. Tonight we have a very interesting topic lined up for you. No guests and uh, no, no headlines or anything that we would usually do on a Thursday night. But tonight I want to talk about a, prod, uh, a subject that's extremely important, I think, in the overall scheme of things, and I think makes a nice complement to what we were talking about on the program last night, where we were outlining the 20 more ways you are being spied on and all of the crazy spy grid technology that, unfortunately, the police state Big Brother surveillance system is rolling out and shoving in our face. Well, as a complement to that, or perhaps as a, as a response to that type of fear and intimidation that can come from understanding that we are being watched and tracked and surveilled in the giant spy grid that is the World Wide Web, i.e. web designed to catch us in its uh, thrall. Well, as a, as a counter to that, tonight we're going to be looking at ways that we can hack the matrix. Because it is possible to, at the very least, be a little bit smarter about the ways that we browse online, the things that we do online, and even to attempt to fight back in some ways against this control grid through the very technology that is bringing it into place. So tonight on the program, I just want to outline some of the things that I do in my own browsing uh, on a day-to-day basis that I hope will, at the very least, arm some of the people out there with some new information about things that you can be doing to get around some of the surveillance grid, to uh, to understand the way that it's working, and to hopefully uh, prepare yourself and arm yourself against it, and even to fight back against it. So a lot of information. I hope you will get your pen and paper ready tonight, because there will be a lot of information. But of course, if you don't have that pen and paper ready, don't fret. We will have, of course, all of the notes to and all of the links to all of the documents and things cited in today's episode linked up at CorbettReport.com shortly after tonight's episode airs, so you will be able to find all of this information online. And, of course, while we're on the note of CorbettReport.com, let me once again urge all of you out there who are listening to my voice, who are not really familiar with my website, please head over there and you will find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of media, radio shows and interviews and videos and uh, podcast episodes and articles that are freely available for download there, uh, commercial-free and available for your free listening, viewing, and reading pleasure that I've made available over the past five years. So I think of it as a treasure trove of information, a large resource. And as we will be uh, advising people tonight on the program, never ever think of any resource that's out there on the Internet as something permanent and stable and something that will necessarily be there tomorrow and the day after and the day after. Because unfortunately, with the Internet, the technologies that are coming along to scrub ourselves off of the Internet are becoming more prevalent and more readily available to Big Brother. So we have to understand that all of this information that you have access to right now at your fingertips may not be there tomorrow or the day after that. So we have to prepare for that, and uh, that's why I hope that people are taking advantage of the free downloads on my website to keep an archive of some of this information. Certainly, if there's an episode or a podcast or an interview or something that you find to be particularly valuable, I hope you are saving it to your hard disk and hopefully burning off a copy onto a DVD or some other material. 
And if not, if you don't have the time to, or if you would just like a complete archive, of course you can go to corporatereport.com slash support and buy some of the DVDs there that are available. We have data DVDs for 2007, 2008, and 2009 with all of the material that was produced on the website over those years. And more of those data DVD sets will be coming out in the future, so keep your eye on corporatereport.com for that. But first, let's take a short break, and we'll come right back tonight talking about hacking the Matrix and fighting back against the control grid. Afghanis in Afghanistan, Vietnamese in Vietnam, Iraq is in Iraq. James Corbett here of CorbettReport.com at your service for the next hour of radio broadcasting here on Republic Broadcasting as we're going over the hacking of the Matrix and how to do that effectively. So tonight we have lots of different ideas and tips and tricks for you. So once again, I hope you are paying attention and making some notes because I'm going to uh, hopefully give you a data dump of information. And the first thing that I want to say is that, uh, it, of course, when we are browsing the Internet, the browser that we're using to do so is something that we often just take for granted. It's whatever browser we tend to use is the one that we open. But it uh, certainly does make a big difference. And there is a big difference between Microsoft's Internet Explorer and, say, Firefox or some of the other options that are out there. And if you are into Opera or some of the other browsers that are out there, then you're probably already one step ahead of me. But for most of the people out there, I'm betting that you're either on Internet Explorer or Firefox or Google Chrome. And personally, I stay away from absolutely anything Google and Microsoft that I can feasibly stay away from. So I do not uh, use Internet Explorer or Chrome myself. Certainly, Internet Explorer has proven itself to be a uh, a pretty terrible uh, uh, browser, I think, for the for the most part over the years, and has always been lead, uh, not leading the pack, but trailing the pack when it comes to innovations and security feature, features, etc. So I tend to discount Internet Explorer completely. Chrome, I've never used myself, so I can't really say much about it other than the fact that it is Google, and I do not want to feed into the Google monstrosity that is such a part of the surveillance grid, as I'm sure all of you know. So in this case, I use, personally, I use Firefox. And one of the things that is great about Firefox are the add-ons that you can that you can plug into your Firefox to spruce it up and to come up with some different features that uh, can enable security settings, etc., that otherwise wouldn't be available. So I would suggest Firefox. And on, those, on that note, along those lines, I'm going to suggest some add-ons for your Firefox that I think will make your browsing experience a little bit safer and a little bit um, more um, enjoyable and uh, hopefully will enable you to, to go to the sites that you like to, uh, to go to without too much hassle. But the first add-on that I'm going to suggest for you tonight is, in fact, something that I'm sure a lot of people out there will find to be a hassle, but uh, I do as well myself find it to be a bit of a hassle, but it is extremely interesting. The add-on is called NoScript, and what NoScript does is it disables the JavaScript on any website unless you specifically tell it to enable it. So, for example, if you go to a new website uh, that you haven't visited before since installing NoScript, like, let's use an arbitrary example, ABC News. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to go there, but in case you did, if you wanted to go to ABC News and it was the first time you'd visited that website since installing the NoScript uh, add-on in your Firefox... 
basically, it wouldn't really look or function like the ABC News homepage that you would see if you didn't have NoScript installed. Some of the, the elements, some of the menu bars, etc., would be static elements instead of the drop-down menus, etc., that you would normally see. And basically what's going on is a lot of the, 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 the functions on these websites are enabled via JavaScript. And without that JavaScript enabled, uh, then basically the, the website won't look and feel like it normally does. Now, the thing about this is that JavaScripts can be used to basically uh, implant malicious codes or execute uh, statements behind the scenes. Things that you won't even know are going on can be done if you are led into a, uh, a site that has some sort of JavaScript exploitation happening. And, uh, and because of that, they can do all sorts of different things. It can redirect you, to, for example, to a site that might be able to harvest your data or secretly install spyware, etc., etc. This type of thing happens, unfortunately, all too frequently. And for those who think, well, that only happens on strange sites anyways, uh, it has, JavaScript exploitations have happened on all sorts of sites. Even YouTube and all of the major sites that people go to on a daily basis have had this type of uh, problem in the past. So it is a, definitely a good thing to have installed just generally for your uh, browsing safety. And uh, and the thing about it is, as I say, it makes some of the browsing, I, I suppose, tedious because uh, when you go to a site, then you have to enable the uh, the JavaScript in order to use certain functions for that site. So for example, with the ABC News example, if you go to the video tab, and you try clicking on, um, you try the, to go to a video, it, it's just going to be a blank space. So you have to go and you either enable all of the JavaScript for that page, which I guess is a, a possibility, or you enable each script independently. And that to me is the fascinating part of NoScript, because you know you don't have any clue how many different scripts are, are running on a various page until you go through the process of actually trying to figure out which scripts you need to enable in order just to see the video on that page, for example. And you can go through and there's script after script after script that you have to allow or turn on, and uh, eventually you'll finally see the video. It's kind of a bizarre, it's kind of a tedious process, but for me it's quite an interesting learning process of seeing just how much garbage and crap is running behind the scenes on your browser without you knowing anything about it, unless you're running something like NoScript. So this is something I suggest. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea because suddenly your websites won't look like they used to, and it will require you either allowing whitelists so that it will always allow certain websites to, to function, or enabling scripts on a case-by-case -case basis every single time which is what I do for the vast majority of websites. Obviously, I have the uh, the core websites I always go to allowed uh, in my NoScript preferences. But at any rate, that's uh, that's one example of an add-on for Firefox that can do things that uh, that normally when you're browsing you wouldn't even think about, but it uh, it does enable some, some extra safety for your browsing so that uh, you can't be hijacked quite as easily as, uh, as, well, a user who's not running it. Another example of something along those lines, again, something that you wouldn't ever really think about because uh, the average browser doesn't even know that this exists, but I'm sure everybody knows that when you type in a web address in its full form, although I don't think anyone types in the full form addresses anymore, but in case you remember back in the day, HTTP colon backslash backslash and then the, the website address. Well, the HTTP is the uh, hypertext uh, protocol that is used to, to basically, uh, that, the transfer protocol that all of the, uh, the, the websites run on and that is used to, to find the address for the website. And uh, your browser basically just takes that for granted when you type in 
www.corbettreport.com, etc. Um, but it, there is actually another uh, protocol called HTTPS, and this is slightly more secure. It's uh, it's a protocol that that isn't quite as open as HTTP. So with a uh, a Firefox add-on called HTTPS Everywhere, you can enable HTTPS browsing on every website that that has that function enabled. And there aren't a lot of websites that have it enabled, but there are some, including some that are probably pretty sensitive, like, for example, Facebook, where you are exchanging personal and sensitive information on a uh, daily basis, or I hope you're not, because I hope you're not on Facebook at all. But more on that later. But uh, but for this HTTPS, what is it? Why is it important? You can get that from an article on Lifehacker called uh, WTF is HTTPS and why should I care? What is HTTPS? And it says, uh, quote, HTTPS provides additional security, but what does that actually mean when you're browsing the web every day? It basically means you're protecting your private information from people who want to steal it using readily available tools like Firesheep. It means when you enter your password or your phone number or anything personal on Facebook or any other site offering HTTPS, that data will be encrypted as it flies through the great tubes of the internet. Think of it like this. You're having a private conversation with your new boyfriend or girlfriend, and your ex, unbeknownst to you, is a few tables over listening to every word. That's the sort of risk HTTP poses, whereas HTTPS would be more like if you and your new romantic interest were speaking a new language that only the two of you understood. To your stalker of an ex, this this information would sound like gibberish, and she or he wouldn't get any value from listening if she or he tried. HTTPS is a way for you to exchange information with a website securely, so you don't have to worry about anyone trying to listen in. So this gives you a little added layer of security in encryption with uh, just transferring information so that, uh, for example, if you go to uh, Wikipedia, which has HTTPS enabled, when you have HTTPS everywhere, the add-on for Firefox installed on your Firefox browser, it will automatically go to the HTTPS version of Wikipedia so that, for example, when you're on Wikipedia and you type in a, a search query, that search query won't be um, spyable. It won't be uh, there won't, other people between you and, the, and uh, it, Wikipedia won't be able to read what it is that you're searching. For example, and uh, again, this goes back to the idea of online anonymity and security and privacy, which, as we outlined in a previous broadcast here on uh, Corbett Report Radio called uh, "The End of Anonymous." The idea of total internet privacy and anonymity is a bit of a pipe dream, and if the NSA or whoever really wants to know what you're typing, they're going to be able to find it out. But at the very least, there are still other actors out there who are not necessarily the NSA people with the uh, the back door to everything, who can and often do intrude on you and uh, what you're typing, and use that information, steal that information, snarf up that information, sell that information to others. So with HTTPS everywhere... Uh, add-on enabled in your Firefox, you will be at least a little bit safer from that type of outside intrusion. So no script, HTTPS everywhere. Uh, Another example of an add-on, which um, it's something that might be small, it might be completely useless to a lot of you out there, but for for myself here in Japan, I'm often looking at uh, Japanese websites, and my Japanese reading ability is quite atrocious. There's a little add-on called Rikai-chan, which I would recommend for you, where uh, basically when you enable that and you hover over some Japanese text, it will actually show you the English translation of that text and all of the possible readings, which, again, is probably only useful if you're 
you know, learning or studying Japanese, but but I'm sure that there are that type of that type of uh, add-on for other languages. Maybe you know, if you're studying Portuguese or something, there might be an equivalent. I don't really know about that, but those are the types of add-ons that you can get on Firefox that uh, that really can change your browsing experience significantly and do some pretty interesting things. So I'll let you guys out there explore around and see if you can find some other add-ons that you personally find interesting. I have one more recommendation up my sleeve. But first, let's take another short break, and we'll be right back with more ideas for hacking the matrix right after these messages. Nobody can take away. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Tonight, we're going over how to hack the matrix, i.e. how to fight back against the technological enslavement grid that we have unfortunately been outlining here on the program in the past, and that unfortunately is something that we do have to worry about when we are engaged in spreading truth about the uh, the lies and misinformation that are coming from the official sources. Unfortunately, that does make you a target of sorts, and it's best to be as prepared as possible for that. Again, I don't want people to give in to the fear and to start self-censoring themselves when it comes to pressing, passing this information around online, because as soon as we start censoring ourselves and wondering, oh, will I get in trouble for posting this message to my Facebook, etc., once we give in to that fear, they have already won. And uh, it's really a question of overcoming that so that process of self-censorship. So tonight we are concentrating on the positive solutions about how to hack the matrix and what you can do to better protect yourself and how to uh, more effectively fight back against this spy grid that we are facing. So along those lines, we were looking in the last segment at some of the upgrades and and add-ons that you can get for Firefox browser, which is what I personally use. Again, uh, you, you can use whatever you want, but I would recommend against Internet Explorer or Chrome. And it's always difficult to move ourselves over off of a platform that we've grown used to. And uh, for people who are not technologically inclined, it can be a, quite an intimidating experience even to to switch over to a new uh, new browser or a new platform, etc. But it is, uh, it is in our best interests. And I myself, I get caught up in it as well. I go with uh, the Mac OS X because I'm on a Mac. But obviously, uh, Linux is preferable, and uh, we'll have to start uh, challenging ourselves and pushing our own boundaries to make sure that we uh, we don't get caught up in whatever the default settings are in anything that we're using, because the default settings are always the ones that allow for the greatest invasion of our privacy. All right, moving along, I did say that there was one other Firefox add-on I'd like to recommend to people, and uh, this is one that was recommended to me in the wake of uh, a podcast episode that I did not too long ago, a few months ago. I was mentioning that there was a video on the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation website, that I couldn't watch because I am in Japan, and it was a uh, one of those regional limited videos so that people outside of Canada could not watch it. Well, I got a number of recommendations for a an add-on uh, in the wake of that uh, that I'd like to pass on to you, and the add-on is called Stealthy. And Stealthy is a little add-on that will uh, find a proxy uh, server for you and uh, basically make it look to the internet in general like you are browsing from a different country than you are. So you can enable it so that you're you seem to be browsing from Canada, for example, in order to then 
be able to browse uh, a Canadian website and have them think that you were in Canada and thus hopefully circumvent whatever uh, regional limitation they might have on their video, etc. Uh, it's not always as reliable as as it should be, I think. Um, it doesn't always work on every website that I've tried with. Um, it certainly, I'm sure, is enabling whatever proxy servers it, it does, but uh, it, it doesn't always circumvent some of those limitations, or I wasn't always able to make it work. Again, that's a, maybe a combination of NoScript and Stealthy and some of the other settings that I have that make it a little bit more difficult to do uh, everyday browsing, but again, do make things a little bit safer. So I, I, I would recommend this. I don't really uh, have a lot of trust in proxy servers as a way of disguising your identity online because I tend to think, well, that completely rests with uh, the, the just the good faith, I suppose, that whoever is running the proxy server is not in the back pocket of the, the Big Brother spy grid themselves or is not actually part of the Big Brother spy grid because personally, if I was uh, the NSA or some alphabet soup agency with billions of dollars of off-the-book black budget funds to play around with, I'm sure I would be setting up a lot of honeypots in terms of proxy servers, etc., to get people to uh, basically buy into it and, and believe that they're having their anonymity saved when, in fact, they are giving all their data directly to the authorities. But maybe that's just my suspicious mind at work. For those of you for whom this this uh, this speak, speech is pretty much technobabble, well, don't worry too much about it. Again, this is only for people who are, uh, I think, interested in circumventing some of those regional limitations. I don't really use it for anything other than that. But let's uh, let's look at some other ideas for being a little bit smarter with our online browsing and uh, anonymity, or such uh, that it is possible to have anonymity. And there is definitely a problem with using Google as your default search engine, or Yahoo, or Bing, or any of the major search engines, because we know that all of the big boys play ball with the alphabet soup agencies and basically are just covers for their operations. And uh, Google might put up a pretense of resistance thing, but uh, we know that they have some sort of secret relationship with the NSA, which the courts have ruled you are not allowed to know anything about. Even you American taxpayers out there who are paying for the NSA's budget, you're not allowed to know what kind of secret deals they have with Google to spy on you behind the scenes and what you're searching. But uh, hmm, that's neither here nor there, I suppose. The point is that we shouldn't be feeding our data into these search engines Personally, I used to use Scroogle. I thought it was a great little tool for uh, getting around the limitations, but uh, Scroogle is no more. It basically went belly up when Google decided to uh, basically block access from Scroogle to their servers. So personally, I use startpage.com these days to do my searching. Uh, Startpage uses the Google search engine, but it does not feed your personal data to Google, and it does not store your IP address, or so they say. Again, you are at the uh, at the whim and uh, the good faith that the people on the other end of that connection are acting in the way they say they're acting, and it is a degree of faith, but that is the faith that I have. Other people recommend DuckDuckGo. I know nothing about DuckDuckGo, but I know that some people like it. So, again, check it out and find out what works best for you. Let's take another short break. We'll be right back. Starts with you and me. It starts with you and me. We all can be heroes if we take the lead. 
to change the bad to good. All right, friends, we're back tonight on Corbett Report Radio, going over tips for hacking the matrix and uh, sprucing up your online presence and your browsing, etc., to make it safer and hopefully more effective. And on along those lines, let's look at a type of uh, way to spruce up your Firefox without. Uh, necessarily ad- using an add-on, but something a little bit different. Uh, something that I like to use is the live bookmarks, which is something that I'm sure a lot of people might neglect or might not even know exist. But basically, these are little things that uh, that Firefox will put right underneath your your um, your address bar, where you can put any RSS feed that you want in there, and uh, basically at any moment you'll be able to get a drop-down list of all the latest articles, for example, on a given website. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people would find that useful if they knew how to use it. So I hope that you'll look into setting up RSS feeds using RSS feeds. It shouldn't be all that difficult. It depends, of course, on your browser and even on whether you're on Mac or PC, etc., etc. But uh, it should be as simple as clicking on, on an RSS feed and then choosing to subscribe via live bookmarks. And then it'll put it right there in that in that bar right underneath the address uh, bar for you. And it should be a pretty simple process. And you can stay up to date with all sorts of news and information at a moment's notice and at a glance. So that, for example, right now on my live bookmark tabs, I have the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, to keep up with all the propaganda and disinformation that's making news in my home and native land of Canada. I have stratrisks.com with the, uh, of course, uh, edited by Michael Vale, who we've had on this program a number of times. Uh, Infowars, BLN, Blacklisted News, uh, Climate Depot, uh, Boiling Frogs Post, E&E News, PublicIntelligence.net, GlobalResearch.ca, Land Destroyer Report, ZeroHedge.com, Asia Times Online, uh, The Diplomat, which is an interesting source of some very, uh, very establishment type of writing on, uh, on things that are happening in the Asia-Pacific region, but uh, an interesting source of official propaganda anyway. Uh, MarketWatch.com, uh, Eurasia Review, and All Africa. So I'm trying to get as much of the sort of global perspective as I can, and uh, just there at a glance, I probably have, uh, what, 100 or maybe even a couple of hundred of articles that I can just flip through at a glance uh, just by going along that uh, that live bookmark tab on the top of my browser. So that's something that I find extremely useful for me. Of course, everybody has their own ways that they like to set up their browsing experience. So it's just a suggestion. If you don't know about the live bookmarks, that's something else that you can do with Firefox. And uh, hey, maybe you can do it with Internet Explorer and Chrome. I don't know. I don't really care. Um, let's move along. Uh, something that I think is also important for us to keep in mind when we're browsing online is that when we find an interesting source of information, as I always remind people, don't take it for granted that it will be there tomorrow. Because unfortunately, with the internet being the way it is and the, the type of age of cybersecurity that we're moving into with Big Brother swooping in to shut down websites that uh, they arbitrarily decide are breaking the law without so much as a trial to establish that fact. Well, unfortunately, information can disappear just like that overnight. And uh, so one day you might be browsing to CorbettReport.com and find that uh, the Department of Homeland Security has seized that domain name. Now, uh, we've gone over that a little bit before in the past. Basically, what that means is that um, uh, the domain name is registered in, in different countries depending on the the extension. So, of course, there's the .coms, there's the .nets, there's the dot. 
uh, .ca's for ca- Canadians. There's .tv, which is actually a, a, an island. I can't even remember wh- what it is, but <laughs> but it, it's, it doesn't mean television. It's actually the, the, a country extension, etc., etc. There's all of those types of extensions, and a lot of them are administered through the United States. They're uh, the, the the top level domain is administered in the United States, which means that the Department of Homeland Security or Immigration and Customs Enforcement or whatever agency claims to have authority in any given case can swoop in and seize that domain so that uh, you can't go and access that website via that domain name. But all the domain name is is sort of a, a shortcut to the real address of a website. So that uh, the real address is actually a number of digits that uh, that don't have a lot of meaning. So really, when you go to CorbettReport.com, you are not going to CorbettReport.com. CorbettReport.com is kind of just a shortcut that the uh, the browser will then send off, and it will get the instructions of where this CorbettReport.com is, and it will take you there. So you don't know anything about that uh, necessarily on the front end of things, but uh, that's what's happening behind the scenes. And so when they take, when they seize a, a domain like Corbett Report or whatever, that what they're doing is basically cutting out that, that middle so that your browser or whatever can't access the, the actual, uh, server that, uh, that the, the information is hosted on. The server might still be there. In fact, um, in that case, my server probably still would be there because it's actually located in Europe. But, uh, so the Department of Homeland Security or whatever can't directly seize that and people can still access it if they know the actual digits uh, for the that that are the actual address for that server so for example in the case of corbettreport.com it's uh it's a little bit unwieldy but uh there is uh there if you actually wanted to find corbettreport.com without typing in corbettreport.com you could go and type in 77.235.49.11/tilda-corbett2 and you will find uh, the Corbett Report website without having to actually enter in the address. Now, I'm sure none of you will uh, know that or, or bother to remember that, but it might be a good idea to go and bookmark that for not only the Corbett Report, but for other websites that you find to be particularly useful that you think might be in danger of being taken down because they are not in uh, the establishment's favor. So it is a good idea to do a reverse lookup on some of the domain names and find out what the actual server digits are so that in the event that one of those uh, websites are seized suddenly, or all of them, who knows, in some big cybersecurity crackdown, that you will still be able to access those sites. So I'll put that uh, 77.235.49.11 tilde Corbett 2 in the show notes uh, for tonight's episode so that you can access the server in the event that CorbettReport.com is ever seized. But uh, and I suggest you just go and bookmark that for the for a rainy day in the future. But it's something to keep in mind, and uh, again, something that should remind us not to take this information for granted, because what's here today may not necessarily be there tomorrow. All right, let's move on to some of the other uh, aspects of that, because, of course, if information is suddenly gone tomorrow, not necessarily because a domain name was seized, but sometimes websites go down for whatever reason, sometimes information is removed for whatever reason, so sometimes useful pieces of information are gone. And a good example of that was a few years ago, there was an excellent website called Knowledge Driven Revolution, which I believe was at knowledgedrivenrevolution.com, but it uh, it went down. the uh, the The person who was running it, the uh, the person who was writing the articles, decided that he was uh, he didn't want to do it anymore, and he took the website down. And 
pretty suddenly. I, I, I seem to recall it happening basically overnight without any warning that I saw. So one day I was going to access one of the articles that I found particularly uh, interesting, and it was gone, and it was completely gone. So that was a, a bit of a disaster. Luckily, there was someone out there who had saved, uh, a, I'm not sure if all of the articles, but a lot of them had saved them, and then they put them up to Scribd, scribd.com, and so that some or all of the articles, I'm not sure how many of the articles, are preserved online. And, well, that's a, that's a good thing, because trust me, it is a valuable source of information. But it just goes to show that you can never take it for granted that any particular website or any particular piece of information is going to be there the next time you go to to try to find it, even if you have it bookmarked or, or somehow, you know, if you know the exact address, it might not necessarily be there. So what we have to do is whenever there is truly valuable information, we have to get into the habit of saving it to our hard drives, saving it locally while we still can, because of course they want to shunt us more and more off into the cloud system where all of our information will be hosted on servers that are somewhere out there that we don't have physical access to so that uh, they can shut those down just overnight as people who use megaupload.com found out and had all of their information completely, totally taken away by the government. Even if it was perfectly legal information that you perfectly owned all of the copyright to, etc., it was gone just like that because, the, unfortunately, the powers that shouldn't be decided that uh, that information shouldn't be online. So we can't get shunted off into the cloud system. We have to protect the ability to save things at our own local physical device. And in order to do uh, to take advantage of that, every time you see an article or a video or a piece of information online that you find valuable, you should be saving a copy somewhere. And that's something that I try to do um, as much as I can uh, with my work. I don't do it every single time, and I really have to, to kick myself to get into that habit. But when I see an article that I think is valuable that I might need for, for later, I try to save it to my hard drive as soon as I can think about it. And uh, for I, there are different ways of doing it. Some people, for example, James Evan Pilato, host of foodworldorder.com, mediamonarchy.com, cyberspacewar.com, who used to be on this program every week. Uh, I know he prints uh, articles to PDF. There's a, a, a option that you can get, for example, in Firefox, if you go to File, Print, and then uh, there's a PDF option. So you can print to a PDF. That basically just makes a file that is a kind of an image of that article, and you can save that to your hard drive. And uh, I know, for example, James is uh, James Evan Pilato. He's light years ahead of me in terms of getting this down to a system. He not only saves all the articles and podcasts and all of the things that he downloads, but then every month, I, I believe, he takes all of the, that information, all of that data, and burns it off onto a DVD and archives it. So he has a stack of DVDs of all of the information that he's used in, in every preceding month. Now, that is a system that is uh, worth aspiring to, and I hope other people will take that up, just as I should. I do have a, a physical backup of this, and it's not just on my hard drive. I have an external hard drive as well that I back up information to every few months so that I do have uh, at least two different places with this information. But uh, again, this is the type of thing we have to do in order to preserve the information and make sure we have access to it in the event of whatever internet calamity might be coming down the pipeline or even just the whims of whatever webmaster of whatever website we're going to. And uh, on that note, I think it also is probably a good idea for very important information, extremely important articles, etc., to make a physical printout, uh, not only burn off onto DVDs, but a physical printout, because once again, we are so dependent on this 
electricity grid and all of the other things that enable us to use the type of technology that we take for granted on a daily basis in the event of some EMP catastrophe or whatever they're hyping up next to the electromagnetic pulse that they, they warn us might take down the entire electrical grid of the country for however many days or weeks. Well, in the event of something like that, how are you going to access this information if it's all on digital devices? The answer is that you aren't. So for truly important information and information that you want to make sure will survive whatever type of digital apocalypse might be coming down the line, we do need to think about low-tech, low-tech backups, physical printouts of information, and uh, along those lines, uh, physical printouts can also be uh, distributed more widely and more easily and perhaps even more off the grid than other pieces of information. So that, for example, back in the Soviet Union days, the fax machine was a piece of technology that came along that really did change the game in terms of the ability of the governments uh, to, to limit the spread of information in that society. And in today's day and age, we still... There still is the possibility of using fax machines and telephones. Oh, oh my God, an actual telephone instead of one of these digital slave devices that we unfortunately most of us have in our pockets these days. Um, this type of low tech is can be as valuable and perhaps even more valuable in the event of some sort of digital calamity. And it's not something that we should be neglecting. And uh, along those lines, it's good for me to see that um, there are alternative media outlets out there and others that are starting to or already are creating physical print copies of, of this type of information, newspapers, magazines, that type of thing. If there is something in your area that does that, please support it, because truly, once again, we have to take this information offline just as much as we do keeping it online. Um, it's absolutely important to understand that uh, that a key piece of this puzzle is the, the, the social proof that we can offer by showing people out there in the real world that there are real human beings who really think and talk about these subjects and really do question the status quo paradigm. And if uh, we only t do our activism online, then all we are affecting is that online discourse, which is important, but it is not the be-all and end-all. So we have to take this offline, we have to do water cooler talk, etc., and shift the conversation away from the issues that don't matter and towards things that do, which is to say liberty and freedom. And uh, we can do that perhaps even more effectively if we have physical printouts of, of information. If there's a good article, print it out, pass it around. I mean, imagine that. People might actually be tempted to, to actually take it seriously if it is printed out, because as you know, you can't trust anything that's online unless it comes from something like, you know, ABC News or what have you. So, uh, again, I think it's important to go low-tech and to think about low-tech solutions to some of these problems, at the very least as backups to what we're doing online. And uh, finally, I want to turn to the, uh, to the possibility of using some of this uh, technology to, uh, to pollute the system that is being used to spy on us, because unfortunately something that we have documented in some great degree of detail, not only here on the radio broadcast, but in my videos and other information that I put out at CorbettReport.com, is that our information is being fed into massive, gigantic databases, the parameters and scope of which can barely be comprehended by people like yourself or myself, 
who are sitting here at the bottom of the pyramid. But uh, for those at the top of the pyramid, the amount of information that they are able to collect on each and every person in this increasingly digital world should be, uh, at the very least, a little bit horrifying for those of us who understand what's at stake. So that, uh, so that as we documented yesterday, for example, uh, financial information, um, information about everything you do online, where you go, who you talk to, what friends you have on Facebook, etc., 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 is being stored, it is being put into databases, it is being tracked, it is being collected, and it is being analyzed. And that's one of the key aspects of this. The data mining that they do behind the scenes through the total information awareness uh, programs that they have running, even though it's not called total information awareness anymore, they still have the same types of systems at play. And as people who watch, for example, my eye-opener reports will know, the sentient world simulation is one of those uh, things that they use to collect and to uh, analyze that data that they're getting in from the billions of little bits of data that they get on a daily basis about each and every one of us and our financial transactions and where we're going and, and the, our facial recognition cameras that are spotting us and keeping track of us, etc., etc. This data is being fed into computer systems that are then being used to predict what will happen in the real world. And that type of information to the extent that it's not quackery, to the extent that it can actually be used to pre to predict some sorts of events, and uh, it and the the idea that that's becoming more and more accurate, the more and more information is being fed in, should be horrifying to you and me because once again the discrepancy between the top of the pyramid that has access to the information and the bottom of the pyramid, you and me who don't, is becoming wider and wider and wider, and with that discrepancy between the information that they have and the information we have. They can use that to control us, to enslave us, to direct us in various ways, and to, uh, to get us to, to engage in all sorts of various conflicts that we otherwise wouldn't. So let's talk about how to defeat that and how to push back against that after this break. Stay tuned right there. We'll be right back. doctrine to which I owe not much indeed, but all the little I ever had, namely, that with ordinary talent and extraordinary perseverance, all things are attainable. I'm sick of this damn noise, the paranoid android poised at the edge. Right, friends, welcome back to the broadcast. Welcome back. That, uh, that song that you're listening to right now is called Elevate, and it's by a group called Pariah State, featuring Logan and Dem One. And uh, that voice you hear at the beginning, of course, is yours truly, James Corbett. They did uh, sample my voice for the beginning of that song. And I will be uh, talking more about that song and some of the other new bumper music you'll be hearing on this radio program on tomorrow night's edition of the broadcast. So I hope you will stay tuned for that. But here tonight, we've been talking about solutions for hacking the matrix and uh, increasing your privacy online to the extent that that's possible, and also for some things that you can do to increase your productivity online. And tonight, I want to finish with uh, talking about how to push back against that system of databasing and tracking and collecting and analyzing all the data that the, uh, the powers that shouldn't be are collecting on us, because that data can and is being used to, uh, to formulate to better traps for all of us in various different ways. Well, here's a way that we can push back, and it's pretty simple, but it's one that a lot of people have suggested and one that I agree with, and that is simply to feed garbage into the system. Garbage in, garbage out, and in that exact way, why on 
Earth would you give your real birth date, for example, to a website that asks you for your, your birth date, uh, your Facebook or whatever, or, or any other website that's asking you about personal information that they don't really need, why not use that as an example, as an opportunity to feed in garbage into the system? Um, and there's a lot of different ways that can be done, and uh, you can... I don't know, go to Google and search for nonsense words, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that to a certain extent that type of um, uh, action is is important. I think we do have to try to feed in garbage data into the system when and as we can to throw off their calculations. But I think sometimes that can be done more effectively um, instead of just as a type of garbage uh, idea. Sometimes it can be done to directly put our uh, finger in the face of the tyranny that they're trying to shove down our throats. So on that note, last night on the program we were talking about that uh, revealed hundreds of words to avoid using online if you don't want the government spying on you, talking about the leaked DHS document uh, that shows that the Department of Homeland Security is monitoring online communications for various keywords, including all sorts of ridiculous keywords like Mexico or agro or um, uh, cloud, uh, blizzard, if you write one of these words, supposedly it will be flagged and the uh, the DHS might come spying on you or knocking on your door or whatever. And, of course, this is ridiculous. Uh, some of these keywords are just so mundane as to be absolutely insane. Uh, ice, help, crest, trembler, as if any of these words are indicative of anything whatsoever. But nonetheless, according to the Department of Homeland Security documents that somehow leaked out, and you have to wonder how these documents get leaked out and whether they're not serving the purpose of keeping us all afraid at all times, but according to these documents, these types of keywords will get you flagged. So one thing you can do is when this type of ridiculous information comes out, why not go directly against it? And that's what we saw, for example, last night we were listening to that keyword song in which they took dozens of examples of those keywords and made a song out of them and uh, and made kind of a joke out of it. Well, why don't we do that in our own uh, experience? So uh, after tonight's program, I myself, I'm going to tweet out every single one of those words on that DHS keyword list. And if you, uh, if you like, if you dare, why not join me in that endeavor on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever you are online? Uh, once again, if one or two people do this, it Maybe they can track us as insurgents, but if hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people stand up to this tyranny, they cannot enforce it on all of us. Something to think about, but we are fresh out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there for tonight. If you have any of your own tricks for hack- hacking the Matrix, of course, I'm very interested in hearing about them. Write in and tell me at CorbettReport.com, and I will share it with everyone out there. But until tomorrow night, that's it for me, so thank you for listening, and take care. You know,